Friends, as we center ourselves for worship this day, we come to our call to worship, and ordinarily we are together and we hear one another's voices as we participate in our responsive reading. But since we are not together this day, I want to invite you to a different kind of call to worship, and it involves your bodies. It's a kinesthetic call to worship, and so please join me. First, I invite you to assume a comfortable position. Notice where you are sitting, the firmness of your chair or seating, your feet on the floor. You notice the ground below you that is lifting you up. Now I invite you to roll your shoulders. And I invite you to breathe in. Breathe in God's mercy. And as you breathe out, Breathe out God's love. Again, breathe in God's mercy. And breathe out God's love. And finally, I invite you for just a moment to pause and to close your eyes and to listen. Listen. Allow yourselves to open your heart as you open your eyes again. Friends, even now, even today, God is here. So let us worship holy God with open ears, open hearts, and open eyes. Let us worship with the sound of music as we sing together.
Family of faith, if Jesus met the widow in her isolation, the crowds at the edge of the sea, the leper in his pain, and the Pharisees in their fear, then surely Jesus meets us here. In our own homes scattered throughout this city and well beyond, wherever you happen to be, we trust and believe that Jesus is present. So together we pray the prayer of confession, trusting that God is with us wherever we are. Friends, if you are joining us by means of the internet, we invite you to join us in this prayer using the bulletin at the bottom of your streaming page. Friends, let us pray. God of today and tomorrow, you ask us to give what we have, but sometimes we give far too much. We burn ourselves out and wear ourselves down. Then, in other moments, we don't give at all, hoarding what we have and living out of fear. We long to find that middle ground, the balance of self-preservation and radical generosity. But like a seesaw, we rise and fall. Forgive us. Guide us. Tether our centers to you. Humbly we pray. Amen. Amen. Scripture tells us that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Not fear, not pain, not doubt, nor anxiety. Not social separation or even grief. In all matters of life, we are held by God. So friends, hear and believe the good news of the gospel. We are are saved by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. Family of faith, since we are not together in person to exchange the peace of Christ, we thought we would take a moment to encourage connection beyond these church walls. So I want to invite you to pull out your cell phones, actually pull out your cell phone, and send a text to someone you love. Let them know that you're thinking of them. Let them know that you're praying for them. And if you're joining us on Facebook Live, then we encourage you to tag someone in a comment to let them know that they are on your heart and mind. Friends, in a season of social isolation such as this one, our efforts to connect are more important than ever. So take a moment. Let people know you're thinking of them. Pass the peace of Christ. The peace be with you.
Friends in worship were often asked to sing to God or about God, but during the refrain this morning, I invite you to sing what God sings to us. We sing with me. Don't be afraid, my love is stronger, my love is stronger than your fear. Don't be afraid, my love is stronger, and I have promised, promised to Friends, as we prepare to hear scripture read, I invite you to join me in prayer. Let us pray. Holy God, why is it so easy for us to get song lyrics stuck in our heads, and yet so hard for us to get your words into our minds and hearts? We are distracted, God consumed by to-do lists and the thoughts in our heads, consumed by media updates, news stories, and emails. Listening has never felt so hard. So today we pray. Slow down our racing thoughts. Move in us like a breath of fresh air. Clear out the cobwebs in our ear and calm the scattered nature of our mind. We are here, we are listening, we are hungry for your word. So speak to us now, amen. Good morning, all of you. What a strange time. I know I think I can speak for my colleagues when I say I don't think any of us has experienced a moment like this in our ministry. Perhaps you are feeling that way too. Maybe you are working remotely from home now. Maybe you have children at home for whom you wish you could work remotely from. Perhaps you have adjusted your spring break plans or even your daily plans multiple times. Maybe you are caring for an older adult in times that seem especially scary. As Matthew said at the beginning of our service, it is odd for us to be here without you, and we miss you very much. But we are grateful for technology and the ways that we can connect with you and with God in a variety of ways. We're grateful to be with you this morning. Perhaps like many of you, you reached out to family and friends this week. I've talked to my parents and my sister and brother-in-law on the East Coast. I also reached out to Reverend Kathy Lee Cornell, who is our mission pastor here at PHPC. She is on maternity leave. 
I wanted to check in and make sure her family was doing okay with a small baby at home. They are. They asked about you. She asked about her pastoral colleagues and in turn about the church. She wanted to know how we were doing. This was midweek and we were in full plan and so I launched into all the ways that we were trying to keep our community safe. And I was on speakerphone. And three-year-old Owen must have heard the stress in my voice. Because completely unprompted in the background, Owen sang out, don't worry, every little thing, it's gonna be all right. I smiled and I thought, thanks be to God, the good news of the gospel from the littlest among us. As my colleagues have done such a beautiful job with worship this morning, breathe deeply and know that in all things you are held in God's love. This morning, we are continuing a conversation that we've been having for the past two weeks, considering scripture texts from the last week of Jesus' life. Over the last two Sundays, we have heard teachings from Jesus' time in the temple on Monday and on Tuesday. This morning, on Wednesday, we find Jesus offering that final set of teachings. He is with his disciples still in the temple, that large outer open air courtyard, as Matthew has described it, North Park Mall without Macy's and Nordstrom's. A tragedy, to be sure. But it's a large space. Jesus is gathered there, and the scribes and the Pharisees have been challenging him in front of pilgrims. They want to discredit Jesus before the people. Jesus has answered their questions with grace, often flipping the answers back on them. And now it is his turn to offer some teaching. This is where we meet him. So listen now for a word from the living God from Mark chapter 12. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and he watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, truly I tell you this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, in the moments ahead, silence within us any voice but your own. Speak to us and allow us to hear. Through Christ our Lord we pray, amen. I wonder what he saw in her. She was, after all, one of life's invisible people, just background noise on the soundtrack of life, lost in the crowd of Passover shoppers and pilgrim worshipers, 
I wonder what he saw in her. Perhaps she stood out to him because her clothes were threadbare, noticeably worn in comparison to others who moved with purpose and with ease around the temple. Maybe it was the way she carried herself. Shoulders back in gritty determination, a tight smile, thinly layered over exhaustion and worry and fear. I've always pictured her as an older woman, but Mark doesn't describe her this way. In fact, the scripture text tells us very little about her. She isn't even given a name. Instead, Mark simply tells us that she is a poor widow. Now, perhaps if you pause for a minute, if we think about that, that description of her seems a little redundant. To describe someone as a poor widow is like saying someone is a rich ruler, or a poor pauper, or a powerless woman. Women in the first century had very few rights and little social standing outside of their husbands or fathers. Without a man to provide and to protect them financially, a woman whose husband had died had little hope of survival. I think Mark knows this. Perhaps he also knows that in special circumstances under Roman law by the time of Jesus' day, there were a few occasions on which a woman could be allowed to inherit her husband's money. If this widow were lucky, if she were independently wealthy, she might hope to enjoy a good life, free from financial worry. Certainly, the Apostle Paul benefited from the sponsorship of many women, some who were wealthy widows, women such as Lydia in the book of Acts. As preacher Barbara Brown Taylor points out, without women, Paul would have barely had a scrap of paper to write on. But wealthy patron is not this woman's circumstance. She is neither a rich widow or even a poor married woman. She is a poor widow. The worst of all possible circumstances, and therefore standing on the lowest possible rung of the ladder of life that anyone could hope to climb. We may not know much about her, but we can be certain that young or old, both her gender and her financial status, render her obsolete everywhere, from the market to the temple. She is nobody. She is just taking up oxygen, taking up space. That is, of course, for everyone except for Jesus. Positioned opposite the temple treasury, Jesus notices her. He notices her as she steps forward to drop in two small copper coins to Lepta, worth only two pennies into the treasury, all she had to live on. 
Again, Mark doesn't tell us how Jesus knows that this is the very last cents in her bank account. Perhaps Jesus just knows these things. But whether it's Jesus' gift of keen human observation or supernatural knowledge, her act is a gesture of such great importance that she not only receives Jesus' attention, but he calls his disciples over that they might come and see her too. The question I have is, why? Why make such a big deal about a poor widow contributing two meager pennies into the temple coffers? No one will miss this sacrifice. Two pennies will not eliminate the deficit. It won't pay a single pastor's salary. It won't keep the lights on. It won't further the mission and ministry of the temple. It will take more resources to count the two coins of her life than her gift is actually worth. And surely, surely Jesus has other things on his mind. Remember, it is the Wednesday of Holy Week. The situation in Jerusalem is increasingly tense. Jesus is fully aware that his presence and his activity in Jerusalem now place him on Rome's first century watch list. In the eyes of the empire and those committed to the status quo, Jesus has done more than enough to disrupt the peace. So why pause for her? And why now? So many who read this story see this poor widow as an example of selflessness, of unfettered generosity, the ultimate model of Christian giving. Look, they say, this poor widow comes to Jesus' attention because she gave not just 10%, but 100%. The pastor's dreams come true. All she had, she gave to the church, holding nothing back. If only we would be as generous as her. Perhaps you know that this poor widow has been the subject of more than a few stewardship sermons. As one pastoral colleague of mine noticed this week, hardly in October can pass without the presence of a few poor widows. But I just think there's something missing from this interpretation. In part because each time I read this text, I find myself wondering if we really want to celebrate the story of a vulnerable woman whom society has rendered invisible, giving her very last to the institution that has failed her. Is the abundance of her financial giving really what Jesus wants us to see in her? And I'll be the first to admit, there's something poignant, something powerful, something beautiful about her gift. And yet, to me, her circumstances seem more like tragedy than moral example. There are, in fact, some clues in the text 
that suggests that things are not quite as simple as they first appear. Did you notice that Jesus never says, go and do likewise? The natural progression, if this were an object lesson, would go something like, see how she gave everything she had? Go and do the same. But that sequence isn't offered here. It's also worth noticing that in the parable immediately before this one, Jesus criticizes scribes who, under the guise of religious significance, exploit the meager circumstances of poor widows. And then in the passage immediately following this passage, Jesus will foretell the destruction of the temple. It just doesn't make any sense to praise this poor widow for giving her last to the very institution that has lost its way. No, I don't believe she is here for a morality lesson on institutional economics. Instead, I think this poor widow is here because she is what Jesus is passionate about. During this time in the church's calendar, during Lent, and then specifically during Holy Week, we as a community of faith often consider Jesus' passion, that is, his suffering. But I think this parable invites us to consider another meaning of passion. That is the thing which Jesus was unwaveringly committed to, which was the dignity and visibility and care of all people, particularly society's most vulnerable members. Perhaps if you've read the last week, you know that Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan put it this way. They say, the first passion of Jesus was the kingdom of God, which was to incarnate the justice of God by demanding for all people a fair shake in the world, the world ruled by the covenantal God of Israel. Sometimes people wonder if the problem is, is that because the scribes and the Pharisees and the temples, that this was a Jewish problem. But it's worth noting that Jesus was a Jew. This woman was Jewish. This is not a Jewish story. This is a human story. And so in order to express his robust hope for a different world order, God's world order, Jesus, in fact, is drawing on streams of Jewish tradition, the tradition that formed and shaped him. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field. Leave them for the poor and the stranger in your midst. Leviticus 23. The alien, the orphan, and the widow who are in your town shall come and eat at your tables. Deuteronomy 14. Learn to do good, seek justice, Defend the orphan, plead for the widow, Isaiah 1. The Lord protects the stranger and supports the orphan, Psalm 146. And on and on and on and on the scriptures will write. Sometimes I think it's tempting in Holy Week to think of Jesus coming suffering and his death on the cross as a departure from his more successful ministry. But the Gospels tell a different story. 
Jesus' death on a Roman cross can never be separated from his message of liberation, especially for the least and the lost and the lonely. As I pondered this text this week amid our ever-unfolding and chaotic and anxious time, I found myself wondering what does Jesus' recognition of a poor widow possibly have to do with a global health pandemic? Strangely, I think the answer might just be everything. Think about it. She is invisible to everyone around her, and Jesus sees her, and in doing so, he offers her dignity. He offers her the kind of visibility that we all long for. It's never a mystery to me why Instagram is so popular in our world. We are just a group of people who are desperately longing to be seen. And so in moments like this, when the world is crazy, when we are buying up groceries and toilet paper and lima beans, yes, lima beans. I was in the grocery store at Whole Foods this week and they were down to the nubs. I think in these moments it's tempting to turn inward, but that it is exactly in these moments in which God invites us not to turn inward, but to look outward beyond fear and beyond self-protection, to love, to see one another, to see one another in new and important ways. What if this moment is that kind of opportunity? As we did this morning, perhaps this week is an opportunity to reconnect or to connect more deeply with those in your lives. Pick up the phone and text someone that you love. Check on a neighbor. Text another parent. Lord knows they need it. Email one another. Skype with one another. I saw church communities like ours passing the peace over phone and video. I wonder if you can think for a minute who you usually sit next to in the pew. Can you bring them to mind? Could you text them this week or call them? Offering a prayer or a word of hope or of encouragement, just letting them know that you're thinking of them, that you see them. My friend Judy, whose daughter lives in Barcelona, sent me a video last night taken from her daughter's apartment balcony and it featured the coordinated of applause from indoors throughout the city of Barcelona at 10 p.m. for all sanitation and healthcare workers. It made me tear up. And perhaps we might also ask too, who are the truly vulnerable in our midst? As markets continue to reel, as those who live on limited resources will face even leader times. How do we see them in the days and weeks ahead? I think of so many in our city who work hourly without sick time or no paid leave. I think of single parents whose children are out of school and have no way to care for them. I 
Think of children who rely on school for food or those who cannot fill their refrigerators or tables in good times. I think of so many who are sick or in the hospital or don't have health care. Perhaps these folks are on your mind, too. I joked this week that I was tired of washing my hands. I am tired of washing my hands. In fact, I joke that now I will be buying up all the hand cream in the grocery store to combat the dryness of skin from washing my hands every two seconds. And then, of course, CEO of City Square, Larry James, reminded me what a privilege it is even to be able to wash my hands. In a meeting about our homeless neighbors, he said, where would I wash my hands if I had no home and if no one wanted me around? When I think about the poor widow, it makes me wonder if the question in this moment is not how bad will it get, but what kind of people will we be? Will we find ways to see and show up for one another? Will we show up for the most vulnerable among us, even as we take appropriate and responsible measures to protect ourselves? With his whole life, his birth, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, Jesus will embody in word and in act the love and justice of God. We know how the story goes. He will, in fact, pay for this fidelity with his life. And so maybe, ultimately, that is what he sees in her. He sees himself, like her. In just a few short days, he will pour out every last ounce of his life for the world that he loves. And the world will betray him. It is too late for him. But maybe not for her. I believe in these days we must lift one another up. We must especially lift up those on the margins, caring that they too endure in these days. And the truly good news of the gospel is this. A congregation like ours has all the resources that we need to do it. We have the love of God. We have the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have the courage of the Holy Spirit who is with us now and always. All thanks be to God. Amen. could not keep you in a temple or any of their idols to see and understand. We cannot keep you in 
Can I keep you in the Bible? Or it's just another idol to box you in? They could not keep you in their walls. We cannot keep you in ours either. For you are so much greater. Who is like the Lord, the maker of the heavens? Who dwells with the poor and lifts them from the ashes? And seats them among princes Who is like the poor We've tried to keep you in a tent We've tried to keep you in a temple We've worshipped all their idols We want all that to end So we will find you in the streets we will find you in the prisons and even in our Bibles and churches. Who is like the Lord, the maker of the heavens, who dwells with the poor and lifts them from the ashes and seats them among princes? Who is like the Lord? Friends, having heard the word read and powerfully proclaimed, let us affirm our faith. In spite of many unanswered questions, I believe. I believe in the living God, the joy of the universe, who from the dust of earth calls up living beings to be children of eternity. I believe in Jesus the Christ, God's true Son, who is bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, who took upon himself the healing of the human race, who bearing the burden of our sins went to Golgotha carrying his cross, and who on the third day was found to be gloriously alive. I believe in the Holy Spirit of God who brings hope out of despair love out of apathy, joy out of sorrow, and unceasingly regenerates and reforms the church, I believe that even I am caught up in the resurgent life of Christ Jesus and that nothing in life or death can separate me 
from his love and joy in spite of unanswered questions. Yes, I believe. Friends, at this point in the service, we direct our hearts and minds toward prayer. If you're watching on Facebook, feel free to comment on a prayer concern, a request, so that we can pray for one another during this time, and so that the staff can incorporate your prayers into our weekly rhythm. So I invite you now to join me in song as we open our hearts in prayer. Sometimes life seems to fall apart slowly. Like rain at the edge of the cloud, drip by drip, our reality changes. But at other times, life seems to be ripped apart at the seams. Like the slam of a door or breath getting knocked out of us, quick and surprising. And these days have been those kind of days, God. The kind of days where our world gets turned upside down. The kind of days where the breath in our lungs doesn't feel as free. The kind of days we never could have imagined. So we come to you today with a new appreciation for the ways you healed the sick. And we come to you today with a new longing to be a part of that crowd. For we come to you today in the midst of a pandemic like we have never seen before. So today we sing. We sing for you and ask that you would bend towards us in prayer. are strange days, God. So today we pray for the ill, for those alone in their pain. And today we pray for the poor widows in our world, those without enough resources to stock up on food or get to the doctor. Today we pray for medical professionals who are brave enough to give their all. We pray for political leaders forced to make hard decisions in seasons of uncertainty. We pray for the children and youth who are home from school alone and possibly hungry. We pray for parents who fear a pay cut, 
for scientists racing to find a cure, for this community of faith which strives to stay connected in a season of disconnection. We pray for all of those at home who feel restless and caged. We pray for those with compromised immune systems, forced to worry about their own safety. And so we weave these emotions, these crippling, weighing prayers into a melody. And we give it to you, God. Together we sing. God, sometimes life seems to fall apart slowly, but at other times it seems to be ripped at the seams. So be with us in these moments. Be with us in our hopefulness as we declare that still you are here. For we refuse to give fear and death the last word. You taught us that. So pour strength into us like a parent pours love into a child. Teach us how to point to the good. Teach us how to dance in the rain and how to savor the last bite. Teach us how to notice the unnoticeable and how to sing a song of love. And as you do, be with us today, tomorrow, and in every moment as we sing together once more. Finally, God, despite our physical distance, we join our voices together in the words you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And, and lead, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Family of faith, our scripture reminded us today of two things. That it is holy to give what we can. And also that there are so many people in deep need who cannot afford to give even if they want to. So today, as we practice our faith, we invite you to give what you have and what you can, knowing that funds received in this space are used to build God's church in the world and to care for the unseen. If you are joining us via online streaming, you can find the Give Now button below your screen and give that way. Or you are also invited to text in a donation. You can text the word GIVE 
to the number 972-861-1116. Friends, let us give our tithes and our offerings.
Join me in prayer. Generous God, we do not give out of obligation. We do not give out of fear. We give out of hope. We give because we trust that you can take these small gifts and turn them into good news for this broken world. So we pray, do just that. Take these gifts, turn them into an alleluia, and allow us to be the witnesses. Gratefully we pray. Amen. We see you. So go forth with compassion and justice in your hearts. Give voice to the silent, give strength to the weak. Hear one another, see one another, love one another. It's all that easy and it's all that hard. And may the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and always. Amen. <laughs>